This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 166, and today I sat down with Katie Diasti, the founder and CEO of Viv. Available at CVS, Wegmans, and Amazon, among other retailers, Viv is a non-toxic and sustainable period care brand on a mission to make periods more approachable for Gen Z. Katie shares with us her story from growing up in Tampa, Florida as a first-generation American from Egypt to working as a retail associate for American Eagle and in digital marketing at a creative agency to coming up with the idea for starting a period care brand during her senior year at Boston College. Did you know that it takes over 800 years for traditional pads to break down and there are nearly 12 billion pads and 7 billion tampons being thrown in the trash every year in the U.S. alone? We talk about how these staggering numbers inspired Katie to launch Viv, how she came up with a name for her company, and how she met a CVS buyer while showcasing her brand at Expo West last year, which led to landing over 1,200 retail doors. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story and building Viv. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Uh, great. I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yes. Where are you calling in from right now? I'm in New York City at the moment. I moved here about seven months ago. So barely new to New York and moved from the Boston area where I was for the past like seven years. So where in the city are you? I'm right now in Flatiron in a co-working space. That's great. I love uh, the city. It's my favorite. What made you want to move to the city from Boston? Oh my gosh. Well, it's such great energy here. The startup CPG environment is so bustling and there's so many founders here. And I have a lot of love for Boston. The startup ecosystem is great, but very much biotech, like B2B SaaS focused. So mm -hmm. wanted to be with some fellow CPG brand founders and home tech founders, that whole industry. And that's been awesome. I feel like there's an event like every day that you could go to here around Absolutely. those topics, which is awesome. And so did you grow up in Boston? Are you from there originally? I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, little How different. was that? What was childhood like for you? What did you want to be when you grew up? What was it like as a kid? Yeah. So I grew up with a really, really big family. I'm first gen in the U.S. So my family all immigrated from Egypt. 
And a lot of my family was in medicine. It was very much like traditional immigrant family, like try to be a doctor or a lawyer. And obviously it did very much not go that path, but my mom is a veterinarian. And so growing up, she had her own practice and spent a lot of time at the vet clinic trying to help out by walking dogs here and there. And did you love animals too? Did you want to be like your mom or were you like, no, I'm not, animals are not for me. I did love animals, but I think I was a little bit more in tune with the business side. I feel like I was always trying to come up with ideas for her to market her business further Mm. and get more clients to her practice. But Mm -hmm. I remember I very much wanted to be like a veterinarian or a doctor as a little kid, but I also was like, I think as a little, little kid, my dream was to be a part-time doctor, part-time Tampa Bay Buccaneers cheerleader and just (laughs) wear many hats and be full of spirit and energy because I was very much energetic and kind of outgoing. So that's what I went on to as a kid and realized that my family was very entrepreneurial. My uncles had started businesses together. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurship that comes with like being a business owner, running your own medical practice, which my mother was doing mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up. And I, most of my life, she was a single mom too. So it was just so amazing to see like how powerful women are, like how much we can do. And, and that definitely like motivated me a ton throughout my childhood, but very much throughout my life. And has kind of shifted overall my like life mission to just improve women's lives and empower women. And I think that's how I originally got fascinated by the period care space. But yeah, so that's great. What were your first couple jobs? I was an American Eagle Outfitters sales associate at the mall in Tampa. (laughs) Nice. I remember I loved clothes always and I loved like fashion. And I remember wanting to move to like a city like Boston or New York one day because I was tired of suburban fashion. (laughs) Not sure why American Eagle was like my go-to then, Mm -hmm. but I remember becoming a jean expert and like doing all these online quizzes to like learn all the exact like cuts and colors and everything of all of their jean styles and basically just like help tweens pick their back to school outfits, which I thought was (laughs) Yeah, that sounds fun. What was something that was really challenging for you growing up and how did you overcome it? Hmm. That's a good question. I definitely think as kid, Katie was very optimistic and was like very thankful for any situation I was in. I definitely changed schools a lot. I think I had gone to like seven or eight different schools like throughout wow pre-k through 12. So I got used to making friends easily and that was a big part of my life. And then my mom got remarried when I was 13. So that was really new. But having such a big family, like that endless support system has been so great. I've 20 plus cousins on my mom's side all running around Tampa and we would hang out every single weekend. So never felt like an ounce of anything like missing in my life, which was really beautiful. So what, what was the reason behind changing school so often? Were you guys moving around a lot in the Florida area? Like what, what is that about? Yep. Moving around a lot and family things changing. But I remember that there's also just like the way they would put certain neighborhoods into certain school systems was changing frequently. Florida education Mm. was like wild. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that was definitely a component of it. That's awesome. Well, growing up myself, I moved around a lot, not even within a certain 
vicinity, right? Of Delaware and maybe once in Maryland, we live there. But I've always felt really lucky that I never had to change schools all the way from like kindergarten through, uh, I think I went to eighth grade, right? And so that was a huge deal, I think, for me growing up. So changing schools that often in those early years must have been really tough. Yeah, it was definitely new. I think it makes you very adaptable Mm -hmm. and able to like talk to anyone, make friends quickly. It's like you get to also when you're a little kid, it's like you get to reinvent yourself with every school you go to and like feel like you can be a new person and like let go of anything that you feel like was holding you back before, which I think is great. Nice. Kind of like a clean slate. Yeah. Optimistic view. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. So you worked at American Eagle as a retail associate. That was one of your first jobs. Anything else in the early days? Oh my gosh. I was, well, I was definitely working at my mom's vet clinic here and there Mm -hmm. and babysitting some little cousins always. So that was all more like pre-college and then worked at some digital marketing agencies, ran some like food, social media accounts, like did some different jobs like that. But I was really passionate about branding and marketing from the jump. I remember reading blogs about branding all throughout high school and thought it was really fascinating. But I just loved how brands can like really make people feel things. And Mm -hmm. especially when I was in college, it was during the 2016 election and so many brands were starting to like speak out about social issues and politics for the first time. And we hadn't really seen that prior. They tend to avoid that space. And the fact that brands could then be like voice of people and represent groups of people and like our government couldn't, that was really cool to me. And so I knew I wanted to either work for a mission-driven brand or build one myself at some point in my life. So when and where were you when you decided that you were going to build your own company? Yeah. So I started with the concept of what it is today, actually my senior year of college in an entrepreneurship class. And it was very much to me at the time, just a class project that I was spending a ton of time on because I was obsessed with it and just like half ignoring some of my other classes because I was so obsessed with the space. I was really interested and hygiene and beauty space. It was really fascinating how like the personal care space was evolving and how the traditional industry was really thriving off of women's insecurities. But our current generation just like wasn't going to stand for that. I could see through that so easily. And so they were going to have to evolve, which we definitely have seen that shift since. And I wanted to like be part of that forefront. So I remember doing tons of just like market research on campus with the professors and would have focus groups in my dorm room, just putting a group of my friends together in a circle and just asking them about their periods, like their tampons and what they liked and hated and didn't like and what they were curious about. And I think it was like the first time in their life anyone had actually asked them about their period, especially in that much detail. And so it was really insightful. And being on a college campus at that time is such a great resource because half the population was my target audience. And so I got to learn so much so quickly and then also went to like, I was in the business school, but I would go to the science department and ask all these teachers about like sustainable fibers. And they would like teach me about like bamboo fiber and hemp fiber and things that would work well, but reduce agro waste. And and that became a new passion of mine. So I gave like my final that semester, which was a pitch and it was just kind of building out a pitch deck. Like we see you so many times today. 
And I remember pitching to a few like judges my professor brought in who were just people kind of like in the startup ecosystem that were in her network. And I was writing down all of the feedback, like so detailed after my pitch, even though I I should have been done. Like I was on winter break at that point that I didn't need to do anything else with that project, but I just knew I wasn't done with building what that was and what it ended up being was Viv, but then applied to like an accelerator program through my university. And I remember we had like Thursday nights till 10 PM. We were in rooms doing product market fit and understanding how to eventually raise capital and like all these different workshops. I was a second semester senior. So my friends were all like out of the bar and I was in this room figuring out like how to grow a tampon business. And it was like my favorite thing ever. But I definitely took a slow approach to building Viv full time and went through a few accelerator programs and jumped into one right after graduating. You jumped into an accelerator program right after graduating. Is that what you said? So there's the the accelerator as part of your school and then you joined another one. What's that one about? Yes. So that was an accelerator program that a group of alumni from my college created. And it was very, very early stage. I was actually shocked that they even accepted me because I basically had an idea on a pretty pitch deck. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone at that time in my life could see like the amount of passion I had for it. And so that's where I actually started finding manufacturing partners and trying to build a brand and created what Viv is today with even just like basic things like a logo. And that evolved quite a bit. And that was in 2019. So summer of 2019. And so at the end of that program, where was the business? Did you already come up with the name Viv? It did come up with the name Viv. I remember for the first week, we had a different name and we immediately had to change it because there was like another small brand with a similar name. And so I remember being like so distraught that I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to come up with a new name. But it ended up being very worthwhile because I've loved how like Viv has shifted as like a persona and I very much wanted to personify a brand like when building Viv. And so thinking of Viv as like an older sister, this like badass person you look up to. And that's something even like internally, we kind of think of Viv as like another member of the team, like what would Viv do and kind of like channeling her energy whenever we can. So that's been really interesting for us, but did start building the brand itself and then was getting tons of samples. It was so funny. I remember one learning that you can Google way more than you think and becoming like a little FBI agent in terms of like figuring out which manufacturers were actually building innovative brands and innovative product, especially in terms of sustainability, because that's where my specific passion lied. But then also was getting these samples, but I was a solo founder. So I was like, okay, I would give them to friends to test and such, but I remember messing with my birth control so that I would force my period to come when samples would arrive just so that I didn't have to wait an extra month to try them and then give them back. Oh my gosh. I don't know if that's healthy. That does not sound healthy. healthy. (laughs) You should definitely not do that. Don't recommend doing that. But it was something that I was like, whatever. And it's wild because now I'm like so passionate about hormonal health and the implications of like birth control and those things. So it's a very different time in my life, but it was very much like scrappy, like, okay, like I have to try this. If I don't like it, who's going to like it? So that was (laughs) my like wild 
adventures of early stage, like finding the perfect product before being able to like launch. What is some of the data behind the industry and usage that really got you excited? Because I was reading about some of the stats and I had no idea that just in the US alone, I think it's like 12 billion pads, 7 billion tampons are literally just thrown in the trash and that the pads specifically take 800 years to break down. Like that's insane. I had no idea. I mean, 800 years, that's <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's so wild. That stat in particular of pads taking up to 800 years break down really motivated me to want to build a sustainable brand and knowing that like one pad is equivalent to about like four plastic bags of waste. And in my own life, I was trying to make more sustainable swaps. And I knew there was a whole generation with me that was looking to be more of an eco-conscious buyer as well as more socially conscious. But there was no brand on shelf that really was targeting those issues and resonating with the Gen Z young millennial audience whatsoever. And so I was like, okay, well, that's my demographic. So like who better than ourselves to build that brand and really understand our consumer base. But it it really did start with how the implications of waste and plastic waste in particular that period care does cause. And knowing that like menstruators tend to be movers in terms of social issues and that we would very much be willing to vote with our dollars and choose a better option, like both for a body, but actually for the earth as well. Right. And the average woman, what uses 11,000 tampons or pads in their lifetime? That's insane. I mean, those numbers are, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, it's just wild. So these, so you were compelled by all of this information and wanted to create a more eco-conscious product. What kind of materials enabled you to do that? Yeah, so our first product that we came out with was our biodegradable bamboo pads and liners. That was something I was so excited about because I wanted to, to really innovate and reduce agro waste from its core. Cotton's mm-hmm. great, but it it can get better, especially for a product like a pad. And so bamboo is not only way better for the earth, it uses way less land and way less water to grow, but it also is a lot softer and more absorbent. Mm. So in terms of performance, like not having to choose between what works well and what's better for you in the earth was really crucial for me at the end of the day, especially young people like really want to rely on their period care and trust it and make sure it actually is working, right? So knowing that we could have both better for you and better performance was great. And so how long does it take for the bamboo pad to break down? Hopefully not 800 years. Very much not 800 years. Biv pads actually break down 150 days compared to that 800 years. Yes. Interesting. 150 days. It still feels like a while, right? It still feels like a long time, 150 days, but it's way better than 800 years. So exactly. we, there's room for improvement, I think, in general, but that is awesome that you've built this brand. And so are all of the products based off of this bamboo material? So we have a variety of products. We then launched a menstrual cup called the Viv Cup, and it's very much like a beginner-friendly cup. It is so much easier to remove. It has a ring stem, which makes the removal process a lot easier. It's a darker color that prevents discoloration. And when I was early days of Bib, I was going to like markets and events in the Boston area and just talking to anyone that would talk to me about period care and getting so much feedback. And so many people were asking me about menstrual cups. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm terrified of them. 
And they were kind of terrified of them, curious. And I was also like curious because people were telling me they were curious about it. So knowing that like I was a beginner myself was very much the behind the scenes of how to design the product, which I think ended up being so great for us because so many people right now are new to a menstrual cup. And so making it as approachable as possible has been key. And especially on TikTok, we've seen so much growth of just promoting our menstrual cup on that platform. And there have been so many questions that people ask us and so many people saying that this is like the best first cup they've ever tried because of that ring, because of the design. And we then took that feedback and launched like a Viv Cup starter kit with a full guide on how to use the product and a really simple wash to clean it. Very much from like early days onward to now, we have always taken customer feedback so seriously. That's been something I've been like hyper-focused on is wanting to consistently hear from our subscribers or our community. And what's great about TikTok is they will always let you know what they're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) They don't hold back, right? They don't hold back, which is awesome. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. So you launched the brand in April 2021. So it's only been two years or so. And so when you look back at, I guess, your growth, what have been some of the key drivers to some of your early growth? Yeah, in terms of early growth, I think a lot of it is one, the early community we built. Some of our early stage affiliates that were part of our brand from day one, that they were also kind of growing with us, which is really amazing. There's this one account with these three sisters in particular, the Balanced Buyers, and they were our first ever affiliate. And they had a relatively like micro following when they first started working with them. And we were an itty bitty brand when we first started working with them. And we've kind of grown together. And now they have over 100,000 followers and this incredibly strong community. And they're our top influencer and affiliate to this day. I think we were like one of their first brands to do full paid partnerships with them because we could see the impact they were creating, mm-hmm. but their audience was so loyal, but we've been able to build like really personal relationships with every creator we've been able to work with. And they feel like it almost extensions of our team. Like we'll get on product development feedback calls with them because they're also getting so many DMs and feedback directly as well from people in their community. So I think just being really transparent about like being a startup, but actually being hungry for learning more about what they're hearing about the brand has been great for us. And being a small team, like we need as much a community as we can get. And like, I think with building a startup, it kind of also takes a village, just kind of like raising a family in that sense. So it's 
creating our own village of people who support Viv has been great for us, both in terms of the creator scene, but also just within our own communities, keeping them really up to date of every step of the way. And then I think most recently in terms of growth, now we think a lot more about distribution and like being more places where people are buying tampons, pads, menstrual cups, because that's where we want to be where our customers are. So and since 2022, we then are very mindful of like, okay, how can we be more accessible in the sense that you're going there anyway to buy period products, there should be better options for you at those places. And that's helped immensely with growth recently. Right. And going back to the affiliates, I'm just curious for those looking to launch their own brand, when you were first starting out, what's the formula looking back? Was it X number of affiliates that were just getting revenue commissions. And then we went from there to X number of influencers that we were paying and we paid this amount to, you know, what were the different levels, I think, of that growth strategy? I wish there was more set formula. It seems like testing things in a way that like you just have to know that it might not work sometimes is like being okay with that early days is crucial. Whenever we first launched our full product line with our mid tampons, pads, cups on one in April, 2021, we worked like 20 to 25 creators a month or two right after launching. And I think only like four performed semi-well at all. So that was, okay, we were like, okay, we'll take those handful of creators and continue to work with them. But being able to test like a variety of personas in that way, I think was great for us. And I think we would have continued to need to test things and learn a lot from them. And then I think just having one trust in the creators too, like they know their audience very well. So if you're being overly particular about how they're creating content, like we give our creators so much freedom, like half the time I don't even improve anything because I know they know the brand so well at this point and they know their customers so well and they know their audience so well that... I trust them to be able to create like really high quality content. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I know that you've raised some capital. You raised a pre-seed round. Tell us about what it was like fundraising. What were some of the challenges? Yeah. Yeah. We've raised about a million to date. And it definitely was interesting raising as like a young woman building a period care brand. (laughs) I am sure that is difficult. (laughs) Sure. It's been a struggle. Yeah. It's definitely fascinating. A lot of investors just tend to be men, oftentimes older men. That's where a lot of money still lies. And you definitely need a lot more women investing. We're starting to see that shift slowly, but still so much work that needs to be made. And some of the statistics are really daunting. I remember early days of Viv, I was part-time working at this nonprofit that helps educate startup founders on how to raise money. So that was really helpful. I learned a lot during that process, but also learned like stats around like less than 2% of women receiving VC capital. And I think it's more about finding investors that believe in you anyway. Like you never want to be begging someone to believe in you because that's just not a great fit either. And I definitely think it does need to be like a two-way street in terms of interviewing the right fit for you. We've definitely gone the route of more angels. And I've been really thankful for that, especially as we see the market shift a ton. Having a lot of angels that believe in us have gone through building brands before has been crucial. A lot of our angel base are people who are founding team members or CEOs or co-founders of large beauty wellness in different brands and in that industry in particular. 
so they know what to do and I can always call them up and ask lots of questions, especially when things get hard. And I think at the end of the day, like people really could see my passion and like believed in us as a team and believed in the brand and the problem we were actually solving. And so I know I had to answer like a lot of like really basic questions around like menstruation or like what even a menstrual cup is or liners or pads and things that you don't expect to talk about during a pitch call, but just making sure that you're providing as much education was great. I actually really enjoyed when as particularly male investors would ask more questions about the product and try to understand it Mm -hmm. rather than being like, okay, I'll just hand this to my wife and see what she thinks. It's like, okay, that's great. Like share the product, but at the same time, like you're investing in a business. And if you don't understand it, ask a question, like, do you know everything about every biotech or AI startup you're investing in? Like probably not. And so what do you do? You Google it, you ask questions, you look it up, but at the end of the day, you're investing in the business. And so it's not quite fair when, or I find it interesting when investors say like, oh, I don't know about this space, so I can't invest. It's like, do you know about every other industry that you've ever invested in? Mm -hmm. Or is it just because we're targeting women or menstruators or we're talking about periods that you're running the other direction? (laughs) (laughs) So beyond the fundraising path, because a million bucks for a pre-seed, that's a pretty strong round. I mean, that's, that's not too shabby at all. Sounds like you've done well. In your journey, what has surprised you? Has there anything been like, whoa, I didn't see that coming at all? Any surprises? I'm sure plenty. But I guess in terms of something that you thought would just be different than it turned out. Oh, yeah. Great question. It's interesting because I think when I pictured growing the brand, one, like the CPG space, direct consumer space is changing so rapidly And it seemed like prior, there was almost like a formula with like the Warby Parkers and the ways of the world, like growing a D2C brand. So I wasn't expecting to want to lean into retail this soon in our journey. I was expecting to be like all subscription focused from the beginning and have learned so much about where our customers actually want us and where we're going to be more successful as a brand and that we don't have to model everything after the textbook classic D2C brand. So that's definitely been really interesting to me as well as knowing that just because you're spending a lot of money and like having a lot of burn doesn't mean you're like successful. And so finding that balance between like growing brand awareness, but also still like building a sustainable business, that is definitely more of like what investors care about now. And that's very much shifting. It's like people want now for you to be profitable sooner rather than later and to be able to grow sustainably and it doesn't have to be like acquisition in the next two to three years from the moment you launch. That's definitely becoming less realistic. And I think that's okay. And so just being aware of like, we're all on our own timeline in terms of growing the brand has been really helpful and that it does, it's not always a race against the clock. Absolutely. And so speaking of retail, what retailers are you in now? What what point did you realize, okay, let's start getting into retail. This D2C playbook is I think of the past, omnichannel is now the future, even at the earliest stages. What did that mean for you? And how did you start tackling retail? And what stores are you in? And what stores will you be in soon? Yeah, I remember. So 2020, we were like, okay, we want to be in retail this year. We just made that one of our goals. We wanted to just increase distributions. We launched on Amazon in January 2022. So still a direct-to-consumer offering. And then we went to Expo West 
that March and it was our first trade show in-person event ever. And we had met the CVS, one of their beauty buyers there. And she was incredible, like loved Viv, loved the brand, loved the product and introduced us to the innovation team. And so we've been able to grow with the innovation team quite a bit. And a few months later, we were in 10 stores. And then a week or two after that, with a lot of the P&G shortages that they were facing around tampons, we were able to fulfill like 1200 stores worth of product. And a lot of it's like, great, we were already set up as a supplier. We had a lot of good luck in terms of timing there, but also being scrappy and being able to fulfill that really fast was really impressive to the CVS brand. And so that relationship is continuing to grow. And that's always been like, it's crazy that that was one of our first retailers because it's a very, very large one. And so yeah, a lot to, we've been learning throughout that process. And then beyond that, it's a lot of like people who believe in us, especially when it comes to retailers. So some in the natural grocery space, it's like Central Market down in Texas, solid at Expo West as well, love the brand. And that helped us get into UNFI, like the large natural grocery distributor. And they have an up next program for emerging brands. So as much like handholding we can get at this stage, we are very open to and we always love and seek. So having UNFI like really excited about our brand has been great. So we're going to launch into like Wegmans across the Northeast and Stop and Shop as well. And it's wild. We did a pitch competition at a UNFI show and some of those retailers came up to us right after because we actually won the pitch competition and we're like, we want to bring you in. So wild to have some of those things that you think are like just for fun or might not have that big of an impact can really change like the course of your distribution and growth. And I think because we were giving like so much of ourselves and like being very authentic and like really embracing and embodying the Viv brand always, like we're always in Viv colors as a team at every networking event. We're always- Which are what colors? So we can keep an eye out if anyone's ever wearing- Yes, green, yellow, and pink are colors. So if you see us in like bright green or bright yellow or pink, you're probably looking at the Viv team. Works out that they're also like very in colors right now. I think every time, I don't know if it's because I have those like lenses on, always looking for that in every store and in my closet, but my closet has now become basically a Viv wardrobe. It's pretty entertaining. Going back to the name Viv, because I'm so curious. I know it's like a way to personify the brand, which I love that. Viv, but where'd that name come from? Yeah, it's so funny. I think I loved the idea growing up of like alter egos. Yeah. And as a big tennis player growing up, it was like very competitive. And I had a tennis coach that was like, I was always a very nice kid, like very polite. And he was always like, be meaner on the court, like be more aggressive on the court. <laughs> and so he was like, Katie doesn't have to be mean. But like, when I say like, go channel Victoria or something like you got to hype up your aggression. And I just always loved that concept for me of like, okay, when I need to level up in a certain way or like transform into this person to help get to the next level, like you can embody that brand. And so like Victoria and Viv are relatively similar, but that's how my brain ended up creating that as almost like an alter ego. Right. For ourselves. Well, so why not Vic or Vicky? Well, how did it get to Viv from Victoria? So I loved the concept of having it be like, for your V because mm. I wanted it to be very bold, very in your face and have people have conversations around it immediately. Like mm. when you say a bit for your V, you're almost naturally like on accident having a conversation around 
reproductive health periods and whether you want to or not. And we wanted that dialogue to happen and we wanted friends to just start talking about it. So whether it's just making people like more comfortable with the uncomfortable, that's fair. <laughs> so there's no person named Vivian anywhere in this? Not in our media, but we created the name around, but we have a fake Vivian, which is Viv. <laughs> yes, I see. Awesome. So looking back, what have been some of the biggest challenges since you've launched? Being in retailers like CVS, Wegmans, and these are all big, awesome retailers. What's been some challenges that you've been facing along the way? Yeah, I mean, we're a small team. We stayed super lean, which I'm actually like very proud of, honestly, especially given the way the market's shifting. I'm happy that we're able to keep burn relatively low. We're three people and we have now approaching like 2,000 retail doors. And of course, we can't visit all 2,000 of those doors. So we've mixed, like relied on our community and done really scrappy ways just to make sure product is actually put on shelf properly. I think that's a natural pain point for the more retail doors you have. Like, is the price tag accurate? Is the product even put in the right section? Is it even on shelf or is it stuck in the back? And like, those are things I, when first launching, like didn't expect to be like more logistical pain points, but now it's okay. We were learning so much by having our first round of products be on shelf. Like what iterations do we need to make to packaging to make the education around how sustainable our products are even greater? Because when our packaging was designed for direct to consumer, it was like, how can it be as small and light and simple and aesthetic as possible? But when we're on shelf, we need it to be like a mini billboard for the brand. So right. having to make those adjustments and shift our mindset from like a D2C packaging to retail has been really interesting, but something we've enjoyed learning for sure. Awesome. So before we wrap up, what is next for Viv? What's coming soon? And what's some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Yes. Oh, what's next for Viv? We have some new retail launches coming soon. I don't know if I can even say any of them, but we're predominantly have a lot of our retail in the Northeast, but that will be changing and we'll have some more distribution all across the country, which I'm very, very excited about and being in more places, which would be great. We're also innovating a bit more in the reusable space. So we're always listening to our feedback from TikTok, Instagram DMs, customer support emails. And there's a particular product that our customers have been asking about over and over again. And we've been deep in product development for that. So excited about those things. And then for advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, I, I have to say nothing is ever going to be 100% perfect or when you launch and you're never going to feel 100% ready I still look back at like our first box we ever launched that I was packaging in my apartment and before we even had a warehouse and then a fulfillment center and all these things. And I now can like cringe at it, which is a good thing. Like if you're not looking back and you're not a little bit embarrassed by the first thing you ever ship out or ever launch, then like you're taking too long to launch. So launch and grow and go so with like an open mind so that once you learn from the people receiving your product, you can always iterate from there, but just start. That's the hardest part is that mental hurdle of getting over the idea of just starting to build a brand. Did you have a mental hurdle before you started that you had to overcome? Absolutely. I remember just sitting there and being like, oh, we're not ready to launch. We're not ready to launch. And eventually I was like, why? Why are we not ready? What are we waiting for? And 
from the moment that we pressed go, it was like, okay, like now it's like now or never. And given that you don't have that safety net of not having launched yet, you then have to really rise to the occasion, which ends up making us like way more successful. That's awesome. Yeah, just do it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for sharing your story. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.